Okay, you've got your Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 3. We're looking at verses 1 through 9. And so Luke writes, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's a whole lot of names in that passage. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father God, again, we, uh, we ask for, for your blessing and your mercy on us um, as we come to your word, God. We ask that as, as we look at this text, God, that you would not only um, let us understand it rightly, God, not only that we would see what it has to teach us, God, but that you would use this to shape our hearts, that you would um, form our um, the way we think and the way we feel, um, the things we value, um, God, our understanding of our relationship with you and our, and our brothers and sisters in Christ and the world around us, God, that you would, in all those things, that you would use this text to mold us, um, to make us into different people, God, that you would um, quicken our hearts, that you would blow the the flame of, of the Spirit and that it would um, ignite into a flame in our lives, God, because we need to hear um, the word that you have for us today, God. Repentance is so central to who you have called us to be. It is so central for us recognizing who we actually are. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to work these things into our minds and hearts and lives and that we would live them out um, in everything that we do. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So your daily pop culture reference. Um, I'll start with that at the beginning with it, okay? Um, so when I was, I remember the, the first three TV shows that I remember being aware of as a kid, right? Like if I think back into my head, the three things that I remember first being aware of were The Price is Right, okay? Because cause we had a school system in, in Minneapolis, which is where I was kid, lived when I was sort of elementary school, just starting school age, and we had half days or whatever, so you either went to school in the afternoon or in the morning. I went in the afternoon, and so I got to watch Prices Right every week, and so I remember that. And then I remember Wonder Woman, okay, because um, she's awesome, right? Um, and then I remember 
the Dukes of Hazard. Okay? Except I didn't call it the Dukes of Hazard. I called it the Yeehaw Boys. Okay? And so I actually had a pillow and a set of sheets and the whole deal, like little kids did, I guess they still do, right? But like especially in the 80s, like you always had sheets that were like associated with some sort of pop culture uh, intellectual property or whatever. So we had, we had, Dukes of Hazard sheets, um, and I called them the Yeehaw Boys because you know every time they'd hit that ramp, they go Yeehaw, you know. And so I call them the Yeehaw Boys, right? So there's a song at the beginning of, of Dukes of Hazard. I don't know if you guys remember it, right? Um, and I didn't know this until years later, but but the song is is done by Waylon Jennings, right? It is a it is it's uh, I thought it was just some random you know person doing the song. Um, just a good old boys, never meaning no harm. You know the song, right? Now, you could start singing it if, if you wanted to. Uh, anyway, so the second, it gets to the second verse, right? And this is, this is a long setup for just this one little thing. It gets to the second, it gets to the second verse, and the line says this. Straightening the curves, flattening the hills, someday the mountain might get them, but the law never will, Right? And, man, I, I thought of that line as I was going through this today, and you can see the connection, right? That could be about John the Baptist, just for the record. That could have been on his tombstone, okay? Straightening the curves, flattening the hills. Someday the mountain might get him, but the law never will, okay? Um, it, that idea of straightening the curves and flattening the hills. Now, when they're talking about on Dukes of Hazzard, they're talking about them whipping around in their fast car going through the mountains or whatever. That's not the same context as John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist does the same thing. He comes to straighten the curves, and he comes to flatten the hills. Um, but he comes doing that for a specific reason. All right, He's coming um, preaching a message of repentance um, that is intended to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Okay, So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, is this idea of, of repentance and what that means and what it looks like and how it is so essential to really our faith in general on a daily basis, but certainly as a precursor to faith, as the, as the beginning uh, part of faith or, or the preparatory act um, as of faith as we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we start there in verse 1, right? And, and just like I said a minute ago, we always name names, right? It's name after name and position after position and all of these, these different things. And you'll notice something that he's doing. So we've already said that Luke is the historian, right? Luke is giving us a time stamp again. He's making us, he's giving us a reminder that these are, this is not a fairy tale. This is not some legend that he is making up. These are actual events that happened in actual time during the actual reigns of actual people. And, and not only that, but these characters... Many of them, not all of them, but many of them are going to play major roles as we continue to go throughout the story, right? Tiberius Caesar is an important person in, in Paul's life. Pontius Pilate is obviously a, a significant person. Herod is obviously a significant person. Caiaphas is obviously a significant person in the narrative of, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and then the ministry um, of the Holy Spirit working through dis, the disciples and through Paul. And so it's a stamp, right? It's something for us to, to notice again that these are real events happening in real time, okay? And so it says that it happens in the life of all these, these different characters. And then it says towards the end of verse uh, 2, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, okay? We've already learned 
earlier in Luke that the Spirit of God is on John. Now the Word of God has come to John. And so if the Spirit of God is working in a person in the Word of God, they are preaching the Word of God, you should probably listen, right? He is going to be saying things that are that are critical, that are central to, to your life and your salvation. And that's exactly what we see John doing. So he starts off, and it says he has this message of repentance that he is preaching. And so starting in verse 3, it says he went into all the region around the Jordan, the Jordan River, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of things real quick. So the first off, that word repentance, like what is what are we talking about specifically when we talk about the word repentance? Because I think a lot of us kind of have we think we know what it means. But when you zoom in on on the actual biblical definitions of these things, then maybe our our, our understanding of them will, will be tweaked just a little bit. OK, so the first thing is this. The Greek word that we find in this passage that, that is translated um, repentance is a word called it's, it's said metanoio. Okay, meta, like the way, like metamorph, right, metamorphosis or something, it means another. And then noyo kind of comes from the same root as as gnosis and knowledge. Um, Sometimes you'll hear psychiatrists and things talking about noetic structures. And so that's talking about the sum total of the way you think. Um, and th- things like that. And so that's essentially, what, if you think about the compound word, repentance means exactly what it sa- sounds like it means. It means a change of the way you think. Okay? So in the Greek context, that's what the word repentance means. Interestingly, though, when we go to the Old Testament, we don't find just an easy um, uh, uh, connector word that is exactly like repentance in the Old Testament. The word that is most like it and used most often like it is the word shub which means to turn from something, okay? And so that's the word that would be used if you were, you know, going to the grocery store and forgot your wallet and had to turn around. They would use it very, in a common way, but it's also used in a spiritual way. Anytime you are turning from evil and turning to the Lord or whatever, that word is used, and it kind of plays the same role as the word repentance in the New Testament or metanoia in the New Testament. But those two ideas coming together give us a good picture of what repentance is, right? Repentance is a change in the way you think and then a subsequent or uh, at the same time turning away from something um, to something. In this case, turning away from sin and turning to God. Now, so so I love the uh, the memes and the, the little videos and stuff that are the you're doing it wrong. Um, memes like you know those right like they're everywhere it just so shum- it shows somebody doing something stupid and, or like wrecking on their bike or or you know uh, jumping off a cliff or something like that and then it has a little caption that says you're doing it wrong right um, and they're all over the place they're out there that's essentially what is going on in in repentance right god is looking to us and going you're doing it wrong right this isn't what you're supposed to be doing and then repentance is us looking back to god and saying you're right. I'm changing my mind on this issue. I'm thinking like you now. I'm turning away from the thing I was doing, and I'm turning to you now. Okay? And that's, that's the, what, what repentance looks like for us. Okay? And notice, it specifically says this is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So that's kind of significant. Okay? How many of you want to be forgiven of your sins? 
right? Probably everybody, right? We all want to be forgiven of our sins, okay? How does that take place? Well, repentance is the way you are forgiven of your sins. And without repentance, there is no way to be forgiven of your sins. Repentance is part of the necessary process of us to be, uh, us being forgiven of our sins. And there's no forgiveness apart from repentance. To be made right with God, to be forgiven, is, it means you must have repented. Which is the reason it was so intriguing, I think, or this whole thing is a little bit intriguing for John and in John's context because he's not just preaching a message of forgiveness, repentance for the forgiveness of sin. He's baptizing people for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, Now you might say, so what? What's the big deal there? We get baptized, Ash. When we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ, we get baptized. Why is that weird? Well, it's, it's weird because Jews didn't get baptized. Baptism was a, a, a rite, a ritual, that you would do when non-Jewish people were entering the Jewish faith. Okay, so there was a whole ceremony and and process for a proselyte, right? Someone from another background, another religion, another culture who wanted to come in and be a Jew, right? So if you were some person and you decided, I've I've read the Bible, I've read the Old Testament, I've been to worship in in the temple in Jerusalem, and and I think this is the truth, and I want to be a Jew now, and previously you were a, a Greek or a Roman or whatever, you would go through this process of learning the faith and being catechized in it, and then as a symbol, you would be baptized. You would be washed of your old life, right, and you would be, and you would be um, um, brought into to this new life of being a Jew. But again, the thing is, is that Jews didn't get baptized. You were already in the faith, right, or at least the way they thought of it. And yet, John is saying to these people, you should be baptized uh, for repentance for the forgiveness of your sins, okay? And that's pointing to something pretty significant. John is showing the Jews something, because that's who's coming to him at this point. It's, it's the Jewish people who are coming to John in the wilderness. He's basically saying to them, there is a way in which you are not just getting right with God in this process, right? Um, you are actually coming to know him in a way that you did not know him before, the same way a, a pagan comes into the Jewish faith, okay? You're, you're, you're more similar to somebody who was never a believer and is now receiving that salvation than you are somebody who was always part of the family and now you're just sort of doing the right thing now, okay? That's a big deal, okay? And you can tell how, uh, how John is, is focusing on uh, these ideas as we go throughout the text, as he talks about repentance, and, and, and the way repentance works, right? And so let's kind of look at that, because repentance is something. It's turning and changing your mind, right? But repentance also does something. And Paul uh, and, and John is talking about that in this passage. So look at verse 4. So it says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, right? So what's he talking about there? He's just saying Isaiah had prophesied the coming of John, Okay. Um, Isaiah had had said um, in his in his writings um, in his prophecies that somebody like John the Baptist, who we call John the Baptist, would come. Right, this guy was going to be a forerunner to the Messiah, um, and that that forerunner would have a certain job. He would do prophetic ministry in a certain kind of context, and and Isaiah tells us what that's going to look like. This forerunner of the Messiah is going to, it says, he's going to be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. So a guy out in the wilderness saying to the people, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked, crooked shall be made, become straight, and the rough places shall become level. Okay? Um, he is here to, to straighten paths. He is here to, you could say it this way, remove impediments, remove roadblocks of people getting to God. So one of my favorite little colloquial kind of phrases in the South is somebody will say, it's this far away as the crow flies, right? Like, you, you know that, right? Um, it's, it's five miles over there as the crow flies. Well, what does that mean? That means that if you could be like a bird and you could go in a straight line from point A to point B, that's where you'd get. But we can't do that. Um, why can we not get there that quickly? Well, the answer is because we have to deal with terrain, right? We have Valleys that we have to go down and back up. We have crooked Tennessee roads, you know, that we have to, to meander around. We have hills and mountains that we have to go over. And all those things are impediments to our getting from point A to point B, right? They're all impediments in terms of our travel, right? Well, that illustration is, is something that, that, that John is basically saying your, your spiritual life is the same way and repentance is working to eliminate those things. Repentance is working in such a way Way as to remove the hindrances that keep you from getting directly to God. Okay? Does that make sense? So whatever this thing that, that, that whatever repentance looks like, it is involved in the process of straightening the curves and flattening the hills. Okay? So that one person can get to God unhindered by, by all these things that might stop them. Okay? And so what are those things? What are the kinds of things that impede us from coming to God as, as sinners and as lost people? Well, the first one primarily, and it probably is, it goes without saying, is sin itself. The thing that keeps us from getting to God most is our own sin, right? We refuse to go to God because we want to stay and, and live in our own sin. And what we realize is this, that's, that's why repentance is always preparatory for faith. Repentance always comes before faith, okay? You, it, it doesn't work the other way around. You can't go to Christ and receive him rightly if you haven't first repented. You have to, I mean, even, even in an illustration, right? Like, there's no way you can turn to God until you have turned away from, from the sinful things in your life, right? Unless you try to bring God around to where him and sin are in the same direction, right? Which obviously is a problem, okay? And so there's not any way you can do it unless you, unless you turn. We cannot believe rightly until we repent, and, and here's the deal, man. This is a problem in our culture right now. That whole idea is a problem in our culture because we live in a culture of affirmation, right? We live in a culture that always wants to say, no, whatever you're doing is not that big a deal, right? You're doing something sinful. Well, it's not that bad, or you've got a reason for it, or there's there's got to be some explanation or things like that. And we want to affirm people and not make them feel bad, not make them feel guilty, um, uh, n n any, any of those things, right? Um, we are continually trying to explain to people why you're okay. Um, it's, it's not that big a deal. You're okay, okay? Um, but the problem is, is you can't follow Jesus that way. You cannot follow Jesus if you continue to walk away from him. You have to turn from those things and turn back and follow Jesus. 
And the truth is, is that as we look throughout Christian history, man, every great movement of God in history has begun with his people repenting of their sins. Like recognizing the ways that they have fallen short, recognizing the sin in their own lives and saying, I don't want to follow this stuff anymore. I want to follow Jesus. Every single time, every revival, every, every, everything, right? When you, when you read the Old Testament, every time Israel comes back to God is a function of repentance, is a function of them recognizing their sin and turning from it, okay? And so obviously sin is the big impediment, right? It's the big roadblock for us, and that's why repentance is so, so important. Um, but there's other roadblocks, too, that have to be turned away from, too, that have to be repented of as well. Um, culture is an impediment to getting to God oftentimes. And you'll notice, I think John is maybe even focusing on some of those ideas even more so than he is sin, even in this passage. Sin's not the only impediment. The Jewish people had not been particularly evangelistic, right? Um, they had been a nation for 1,500 years or something like that, and they had not done a great job of taking the knowledge of God to the nations, Instead, basically, they had, had kept the knowledge of God in this one little corner of, of the Mediterranean. The Jews had isolated themselves, and they had put up all these blocks, these, these blockades, these roadblocks, these, these impediments, um, to keep people out. And so it was very difficult to come to, to become a proselyte. We talked about you know getting baptized and entering the Jewish faith. I mean, that was hard to do in 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 the Jewish world. Um, if you remember the story, and we'll get to it eventually, where Jesus is turning over the tables and he's mad about all the the market that has gone on in 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 the temple space. Part of the reason why he's mad at that is because that trading and market kind of environment has popped up in the Gentile area of the of the temple, right? So the Jews can go in to their nice, holy, religious area and concentrate and focus on God. But when Gentiles come to the temple, they have to stand in the market area, okay? And that's part of the reason why Jesus is so upset about that is because he goes, you guys have, you guys have set all these things up so that even people who want to know God are kept out somehow. You've set up all these different things. And, and those roadblocks can, can look all kinds of different ways, right? They can be language. They can be culture. They can be ethnicity. It can be politics, right? We have that in our culture right now, right? Politics becomes an impediment to people coming to Christ, from either side, right? People look and they say, well, there's no way that the person on the other side of the aisle could possibly be a Christian. And so if they say they're a Christian, then I don't want to be, you know, or whatever, right? And the reality is, is that these things become kind of like a double roadblock for the Jewish people. Because on one side, it keeps outsiders out. You know, you can't sit with us, Gretchen, right? This, this is not, this is not, you're not welcome here. But then at the same time, it has the effect of keeping the insiders in and not recognizing what is actually going to save them. And so they start to think to themselves that, you know, what's going to save me is being a member of the Jewish community, being an ethnically Jewish person or something. God is going to accept me because of these things. And the reality is, is that, that John is coming and saying, no, repentance is going to save you. Um, going to the Lord in repentance is what's going to, uh, how you're going to be forgiven your sins, not these other things. Because the reality is, is the Jews have acted kind of like an entitled child. Have you ever met somebody? Have you ever known somebody who had an important dad? Um, like been around somebody whose dad was a, 
a, a politician or a public official or a, or a something. And they thought, you know what, I can get away with a lot of stuff because at the end of the day, my dad's going to get me out of trouble, okay? I, I went to high school with a guy whose father was a... I won't say too much because then maybe they'll listen to it one day. Um, he was he was a local politician, right? And he got into a lot of trouble because he knew that at the end of the day, his dad would make a phone call and, and he would get out of all of it. The Jews sort of have that same attitude of themselves, right? I'm not saying they specifically think they will be they can do whatever they want to and then be saved just because they're Jewish. But at the end of the day, they're kind of like, yeah, but we got the inside track here, right? Like God's on our side. He, he you know he'll 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 look at us with a little more um, grace and mercy probably than he would someone out in the general population. And so th- there is this attitude of entitlement, but what does John say to these people who are coming out to the, the river to be baptized? He says, don't go around saying, well, we have Abraham as our father. That should be enough, right? John says, God can make sons of Abraham out of these rocks, right? That is not anything significant. Um, he could make anybody a child of Abraham, Your ancestry is not the critical piece of this puzzle. It isn't what you should be trusting in. And in fact, if you're not careful, it will become a roadblock to you. You will trust in that ancestry, and then it will blind you to the fact that you must repent of your sin, that you must turn away from those things and turn to God for forgiveness. And again, we have some of those same kind of forces working in our, in our church and our culture today, right? It's an interesting exercise to ask yourself the question, what are the things that we do that keep other people out? And I don't know, you may, we all probably have different opinions on those things. Obviously, some things are things that are good things to do. And if they keep people out, then that's not our, you know, if, if people are run off by me preaching the gospel, then so be it. Right. But there are also all kinds of things that we may do that keep people, excuse me, keep people away. Cultural aspects, um, just political aspects, things that our views and our attitudes towards things, things that we are keeping people at bay and are becoming roadblocks to the kingdom of God. And so we should kind of think about those things, right? Be cognizant of those things in our lives. And so Luke is kind of getting at this whole bigger attitude, and there's some neat little things, or at least I think they're neat, in this passage that are subtle, that you might not notice, right, but they're there, and they point us towards the the ideas that Luke is getting at. Um, Luke has his mindset not just on the sin, not just on repenting of sin, but on repenting of these cultural barriers that are there. Remember, we've already talked about the fact that one of the big messages of Luke's gospel is that the gospel is for everybody, right? The gospel has been opened up to all peoples, and that it's not just for the Jews, it is for the Gentiles as well. And so one little interesting thing that he does is this. So he uses the word salvation there, and I've lost it, verse 3 or 4, there uses the word salvation. So everywhere else in the New Testament, um, or at least in the writings of Luke and Luke and Acts, he uses the word soteria for, for salvation, right? Uh, sometimes you'll hear us talk about in theology, we'll say this is soteriology, which means it's the doctrine of salvation, okay? Soteria is the word for salvation, but there's a, there's a weird little version of that word, soterios, Okay, and it's, and it's the same thing. It means salvation also. It's just a little different. Except here's the interesting thing. Luke only uses the word soterios when he's talking about the gospel going to all people. When he's talking about the gospel going to the Gentiles, for some reason, he uses the word soterios instead of the word soteria. And guess what? 
in this passage, when he talks about the salvation that, that, that they are going to receive through repentance, guess which word he uses? He uses the word soterios, right? He's not talking about salvation narrowly applied to the Jews. He's talking about salvation broadly applied to the Gentiles as well, okay? And so even the fact that he uses that word goes, that's what he's getting at in this passage, man. He's not just concerned about a, a, a sin in a general way, right? He is worried and he is concerned with the fact that the Jews have misunderstood how salvation takes place. They have allowed their culture to be their salvation instead of a relationship with God. And the second little thing is that you notice this, and you notice it when you cross-reference this passage with the other stories of John the Baptist in the New Testament. So Matthew and Mark and Luke all tell about John the Baptist's ministry, and every single one of them quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, which says, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight uh, his paths. Okay? All three of them quote that verse. But then Matthew stops there and Mark stops there. But Luke keeps on going. And so Luke keeps on going, and in verse 4 he talks about the valleys and the crooked, uh, the mountains and the crooked paths and all those things that we've already talked about. And then in verse 5, the key verse for, for I think, Luke and for John the Baptist in this case, is he says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Okay? And so you say, why does Luke decide to keep the quote going? Well, the reason why he keeps the quote going is because he wants to make sure he gets to the part of the prophecy that says, this message of repentance that the forerunner will bring, that is preparing people for the coming of the Lord, it will not just be for the Jews. It is not just something that God is bringing the Jews back to himself. This is a message of repentance for all flesh, that all people will hear this message and be able to receive it um, and and, and receive the Lord's salvation because of repentance. That, that message of salvation, that pathway to God, is being opened to everybody. That access to God, that approach to God, is being opened to everybody. And what does it require? It requires repentance. There is no other way to come to God outside of repentance, okay? Now, obviously, we're going to talk more about that, because if you've read the Bible much at all, you know that the Bible talks a lot about faith, and repentance, right? And so obviously faith is the other piece that we have not gotten to yet. And, and Jesus coming and, and, and doing what he does and living a perfect life and dying for us and all and being resurrected, that's the main thing that our faith then focuses on. And so we're not there yet, but again, that's because that's not John's job. John hasn't come to show you the whole way. John has come to prepare the way for the one who will show you the whole way. And so repentance is necessary for us. But here's the deal too, and, and we're gonna kinda we're gonna go back and do some of this passage again next week, but here's the deal also. It's not just necessary, it is also urgent. Repentance is urgent. So what does it say down in verse nine? John says, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. What does that mean? Right? It means that judgment is coming. Now, obviously, that has specific context for the Jews, right? Because we know in terms of history that about 40 years after these events, 
The Romans are going to get fed up with the Jewish people and all their nonsense, and they're going to destroy the city of Jerusalem, and the Jews are going to be dispersed to the four corners of, of the known world for pretty much the rest of history. Okay, And so we know that specifically he's talking to the Jews saying that the time is short before, before judgment is going to come on this place. But he's not just talking um, to the Jews in that, right? He's talking to us as well because the reality is this. Even now in your lives, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. None of us know what tomorrow holds. None of us know what opportunities we will have to repent in the future. Did you notice that psalm that we read earlier when it said, it talked about the idea of seeking the Lord while he may be found. Okay? We have an attitude in most of our hearts where we go, I I have all the time in the world to seek repentance. Right? I can continue to live in my sin, and, and that's fine because I'll deal with it later. And the truth is, you may not get a chance to deal with it later because the axe is laid at the root of the tree even now. And so that is something urgent for us. The, the scripture talks about it like this. Today is the day of salvation, right? If you, if there's something separating you from the Lord, may you have got to get that fixed immediately. You have got to go to the Lord immediately. Do not wait to repent, but repent now, You cannot continue to carry those secret sins. Repent of those things. Agree with God about those things and turn from those those things. Because why? Because the consequences are too great. Those trees that are chopped down, they're thrown into the fire. There's separation and destruction involved. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We're going to talk about next week about what that means. What is he talking about bearing fruit? Bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. If we've talked about what repentance is and what repentance does this week, we're going to talk about what repentance, at least in John's context, looks like um, next week, how it's acted out, what the fruit of it is. But John is warning us and saying, you've got to deal with this now, okay? Um, notice, and again, we'll touch on this a little bit more next week. Notice the, the, the roughness of, can y'all imagine if I talk to you this way? When these people show up to get baptized, they're like, I'd like to repent of my sins and be baptized. What does John the Baptist say to him? He says, you brood of vipers, who told you to show up here and flee from the coming wrath? And you're sort of like, oh, I thought that's what this was about, John. Like, I thought that's why you were out here preaching, okay? Why does John say it like that, okay? Because he's, he's, and again, we'll get into this even more next week. Because he recognizes there's a lot of people who aren't really repenting. There's people who come out for some sort of religious experience. They come out for some kind of catharsis. They come out because they want to um, get their guilt washed away for a little bit so they can go on back and continue to live however they want to. And John says, I don't have time for that, brood of vipers, right? Uh, You should have stayed at home. Who warned you to come out here and live like that? Who warned you to come out and act in those ways? Unless you're willing to repent, unless you're willing to turn from these sins and follow Christ, then you're wasting your time and you're wasting mine is basically John's attitude. And I probably wouldn't be that forthright with you guys, maybe. I wouldn't be that. John's sort of a fiery Old Testament kind of prophet or whatever. Um, But that that message is no less true for us. If, If we are playing with God's grace and saying, you know what, I can, I can piddle at this thing and I can, he's just going to be good to me no matter what. And I'll keep on, I'll keep on playing with these sins. No big deal. There's going to be a reckoning eventually. And so he warns us, 
Man, today's the day of salvation. The axe is already out the, at the root. Do not wait any longer to repent. And so we're going to close on that tonight. And, and I want to have a time of, of just sort of invitation, and that doesn't necessarily mean invitation like you come down here or, or whatever, although I'm always I, – I, anytime you've got something that you want to talk about with somebody, then I'd love to be that person. But every service is an invitation. Right. Every time the word of God is preached, you are invited to move on it. You are invited to do something about it. And so if this message is kind of hit home for you tonight, and you're saying, man, there are things going on in my heart and my life that I need to turn from, that I need to walk away from and agree with God that these things are wicked and evil and destructive and will lead me nowhere. And I need to agree with God on those things. And then I need to turn and walk the other way and follow Jesus Christ. Then that's a decision you need to make tonight. That is something that you need to move on now because you never know. You never know how long you will have. And you might be like, are you trying to scare me with death, Ash? And the answer is, I'm not even trying to scare you with death. I'm saying that the Spirit of God may not move the same way the next time, right? You may just not care enough the next time. And so the opportunity to repent is gone because the Spirit's not moving in the same way. Repent. John the Baptist calls us to repent. The Word of God calls us to repent. Um, let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Whatever God has laid on your heart, today is the day of salvation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your mercy that you have already shown us up to this point. God, we recognize that you owe us nothing in terms of of the amount of time that you have given us um, to turn to you, to repent of our sins, to follow you. God, you don't owe us any of those things. And yet you have been incredibly merciful. You have been incredibly gracious to us in that you have given us uh, all the time that we've had up until now, that you have given us even this very night. Father, we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to make that turn. God, we, we are weak. We are frail. Um, it is so hard to, to pull away um, so often from, from the things that entice us in the world, from those patterns that we, have, that we have gotten stuck in, God. But we ask that through the power of your Spirit working in us, God, that you would draw us away from those things, and that we would repent of sin, um, that we would turn to you, and that we would live lives in keeping with repentance, that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. God, that you would work in us and make us more like your son, and that we would be, God, not only pleasing in your sight in those things, God, but that we would be a witness to the world of the, of the saving and life-changing power of Jesus Christ. God, help us in those things. Um, God, put people in our lives that we can be accountable to and, and share in our struggles, people that will encourage, encourage us and, and speak truth into our lives. Uh, Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all your blessings. Most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.